A reading from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. From now on, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, 
and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the one living God, Amen. One of my favorite Peanuts cartoons saved over the years shows Charlie Brown and Linus sitting together on the grass. And Linus says, Charlie Brown, do you know what the trouble is with you? Charlie Brown ponders a moment and then flatly says, no. For a while, Two of them just stare at each other, and then finally Linus offers, the trouble with you, Charlie Brown, is that you don't want to know what the trouble is with you. (laughs) Well, here we are now, halfway through Lent. Not much time left to work with whatever we choose to challenge us this season. We're reminded of the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness and was confronted by Satan as to how he would accomplish his mission. If you really are the Son of God, the devil says, if this really is your identity, then practice magic. Throw yourself down from the temple. Take control of all the kingdoms of the world. Act as if you're God, not human. Jesus refused to be seduced. In baptism, Jesus receives his identity, and in the wilderness of his own self, he discovers what that identity means. He proves who he is not by seizing power, but by turning it down. The Son of God will not practice magic, nor ask for special protection, nor seek political power. He will remain not God's rival, but God's child. If this parable is a story about Jesus' identity, then it's a story about our identity as well. If we too received our identity as Christians in baptism, then we too must face the question of what does that mean? And do we want to know what that means? Well, Lent is an opportune time for personal reflection and perhaps for asking, who am I really? You see, the question of these 40 days is not whether we are Christians. That's been acknowledged in our baptism. But rather, what kind of Christians are we going to be? We seize these moments to become aware of our vulnerabilities when we can see face to face, when we look honestly and openly at all of our desperate or selfish desires and try to come clean about who we are. Because without these moments, how do we know who we are? 
Jesus had to meet himself, and we too must meet ourselves. Our life speaks of who we are, but before we tell our life what we intend to do with it, just maybe we should listen to what it intends to do with us. So Lent calls us to look inside and try to understand our life, what, what our life is truly about, apart from what we'd like it to be about. And then question, is the life I'm living the same as the life that wants to live in me? Today's gospel gives us a guideline. This all-too-familiar story is plunked right down in front of us in the middle of Lent. I wonder why. In response to the Pharisees' accusation about his social activities, Jesus tells them a story. Tells us a story. The story of the prodigal. A parable of extravagance in a dysfunctional household. But which character is the prodigal? The obvious answer is it's the younger son, the nervy one who demands his money before his father even dies and then takes off to see the world, squanders it all, and ends up in a pigsty. He wastes his money, his inheritance, much opportunity, and for all we know, his youth. He turned his back on his father and all that his father loved in order to satisfy his own pangs of emotional and physical hunger. In time, he apparently came to himself, it says, composed a finely worded confession and returned home, volunteering to work as a hired hand. I wonder if we can identify with his search and desire to leave the past behind. Then the less obvious answer is it's the son who stayed home and resents having to tend the farm and satisfy the father's wishes. He's angry, full of pride, inflexible in his principles, envious, judgmental, and totally resentful over his father's outrageous generosity. He's held hostage by his sense of entitlement. His play-by-the-rules performance is impeccable, and he's miserable because of it. Have we ever been known to claim that's not fair? So who is the prodigal? Even though we may resonate with one or both of the sons, the central figure is the father, whose love is more extravagant than either the younger brother's loose living or the older brother's moral rectitude. He's excessive in his persistence to claim a family. He's the one who impetuously meets us when we drag in from the far country after good times go bad or who risks coming out to the lonely darkness of our righteousness or the rigidity of our sanctimonious ways and begs, come in. Come in to the party. It won't be complete without you. And while we might like to interject some words of wisdom on good parenting to the father at this point, 
This isn't a lesson on how to raise children. It's a parable about how it is between us and God. It's a love story about grace and two people's response to that grace. That's unconditional love of God. Something we can never get, but only be given. Something we can never earn or deserve or be entitled to. It's a gift that we can either reach out and accept like the younger son, or ignore as did the elder son. Notice that forgiveness does not rely on the son's doing acts of penance and reparation. He didn't have to confess his contrition and plans for reform. What got the boy's welcome and his reinstallment back into the heart of the family were the embrace and the words of the father. Let us celebrate. This son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. And what the father showed his younger son, he offered in a slightly different way to the resentful brother. He doesn't cast him off for his disrespect, but he reaffirms their relationship by calling him my son, reminding him that he too is a member of the family. Everything I have is yours, he says. No one is too bad or too far gone or too good or too self-righteous to be removed from the unconditional love of God. It's the nature of the Father to love all those to whom he's given life. You see, grace is not a doctrine or a system. It's a relationship between God and us a relationship of love. And we have a choice. We can either accept it and know that it involves a cost because it calls us to leave our comfort zones and to follow the rigorous demands of Jesus Christ. It calls us to live a transformed life in the world but not to be of the world. Or we can reject it and figure we're already forgiven, then things can just stay the way they were before, and we continue to live the way of the world's standards. That's called cheap grace. The younger son acknowledges his sins after he was welcomed, but it's not the confession that triggers the love, but the father's love that triggers the confession. Repentance is not a precondition for grace. Grace already is. It comes first. And sometimes grace so astonishes and overcomes us that all we can do is change our course. Forgiveness is our response to grace. And once it's demonstrated and explained, Grace can transform everything about us. Everything. As author Anne Lamott once wrote, I don't understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are and doesn't leave us where it found us. 
So Lent is a season when we can look and see how far we've wandered and turn our faces once again toward home. It's that time when we can let go of our defenses enough to see our own inadequacies and when we know ourselves found again by God. It's a time to ponder our own lostness and foundness. This story ends with the younger brother at the party and the elder brother standing outside, listening to what's going on inside the party to which he was invited. But interestingly, we we don't know the outcome of the story. Perhaps Jesus leaves it that way because it's up to each one of us to finish the story, to decide whether we will stand outside, all alone, being right, or go inside and take our place at a table full of reckless and righteous saints and scoundrels, brothers and sisters united only by our relationship to a loving Father who persists in blessing us with indescribable love. You see, the ball's in our court. Are we going to drop it or run with it? The decision to enter God's extravagant love and take our place at the table is ours. Nobody can make that decision for the elder son or for the Pharisees or for us. So we ask, will we accept the summons to grace? Can we let ourselves be loved, to be fed, to be forgiven and known again and transformed and discover that it is an invitation to discipleship? Or in the end, will we wander off to what we imagine we left behind. You see, if we can't receive God's love, then how can we transmit it? As St. Paul reminds us in today's reading, we have work to do. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Discipleship is the life that springs from grace. And so is the life we are living, the life that wants to live in us? Do we really know the answer? 